chapter 11, Jesus is speaking to a group of exhausted people. So weighed down by the standards of religion, feeling guilty consistently, feeling like they never measured up or could perform or do enough. People burdened by the circumstances of life, financial difficulties, right? Very poor people that he spoke to. And to them, he said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I know I've explained this before, but it's worth reiterating again. In Jesus' day, a yoke referred to the big piece of wood that strapped across the back of two oxen as they plowed a field or carried a cart. And Jesus is saying, it feels like many times in life when you have the, the burdens of performance and expectation and all of these things that, that are weighing you down, feeling like you are not good enough. He said, that feels like a heavy yoke that you're trying to carry all on your own. But he said, but come to me. Because he is the sufficient one. He is the fully capable one, the strong one, the one through whom God would fulfill all the law and the expectations of God. And he says, come to me. And when you strap up beside me, he says, I'm carrying the full weight of that load. Your load is light and easy. See, Jesus came to set us free. To bring joy, not guilt and shame. And so I want us in this moment, just where you are right now, just do some business with God. But the business that I want you to do is just realize that he wants you to come to him. He came that we could come to him, right? And I want you, whatever heavy burdens are upon your shoulders, the anxieties, the pressures, the expectations, the exhaustion, just give that to him right now. Breathe it out to him and then just breathe in his peace in turn. So just you and God, you and Jesus right now, just take a moment and talk to him on your own. Jesus, I don't know why I do this. Maybe I feel like I've been trained just in this world to think that I have to carry the burden of everything on my own. I, I, I've been so, my brain has been trained to think that I have to do all of these things before I can earn your acceptance, your favor, your kindness. But everything that you were, Jesus, shows me that all of that is the complete opposite. That before we even knew who you were, before we could even find you, you came to us. And, and, you, and then invite us to come to you. And so Jesus, I pray that you would show each of us in our own way, that your spirit would speak to each of us individually to affirm that you are good and that you can be trusted 
And that when you are the king over our hearts, that all the anxieties and the burdens of this world, you desire to remove those out of the way, that we might live confidently and securely as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Thank you for giving your life for us, Jesus. Though we were destined for death, you took our death upon yourself and rose again that we might have new life. And if that's who you are, then you are most certainly good. And you aren't just good, you are better than anything we can possibly fathom. That even when we sing you are good, what we mean by it, you're better than that. And so may you grow a fresh trust within us, fresh faith within us to trust you no matter what we're going through. So thank you for strengthening us again today, for taking our burdens and for carrying them like only you can. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Isn't it good? Hey, let's, let's do this old-timey thing. God is good? And all the time? Amen. You guys may have a seat. You may have a seat. Thank you, worship team, for opening that up for us, for prepping our hearts for what God wants to say today. Um, and can I just say again how thrilled I am to see your faces and to see you all here in person. I mean, I, I know that human nature is that, you know, we get kind of used to what, you know, something, right? And then we fail to be as grateful for it. But I, I just really pray that if we went through this past 15 months together, that we never take for granted the fact that we can be together in person uh, and that we can see each other's faces, that we can give each other hugs. Man, it is the strength and the lightness I feel just being with you guys um, is, is, is hard to describe. So I am thrilled to see some, even some new faces today. Um, what a great day it will be. Um, so we're going to continue in our uh, sermon series through the Gospel of Mark. We've been going through the last number of years, no, number of years, weeks, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll warm up here eventually. Last number of weeks, um, and I'm excited about what God has to show us today. It's, it's a little bit different, um, but, I, but I'm excited about what he has to show us today. But before I, I jump in there, just a question to consider first. Have you ever had one of those experiences where you, you thought... You really knew somebody, but then they did something that surprised you and made you wonder if you really knew them after all? Have you ever had, you ever had a moment where, like, man, I thought I knew that person, and then something happened. They said or did something that made you see them in a completely different way? My assumption is we could all say yes about somebody on that. I'm sure we could. Uh, but I say that to tell you a story that happened to Shelby and I just a few weeks ago. Um... Our family went over to another family's house for a pizza night. We were just getting to know this family, and just so no worries, I'm not talking about anybody here, okay? Like, I'm not about to throw anybody under the bus. I know sometimes when I tell stories, people get a little nervous. Nobody here, okay? But our family was getting to know another family, and so we went over to the house for a pizza night. And we were excited about it, right? Because we were looking forward to getting to know them. Um, and as we get there, they pull out, it's time for dinner, and they pull out all kinds of pizza. And when they pull out the Hawaiian pizza, which, as many of you know, has pineapple and ham on it, right? Pull out the Hawaiian pizza, Shelby initially says, oh, Kirk loves that pizza. And then the host says, oh, great, Kirk, it's going to be right here for you. And immediately I'm thinking to myself, 
how long has Shelby known me? In all my pizza-loving years, has she ever seen me eat pineapples on pizza? Like, I can eat just about anything on pizza, right? Except olives and pineapples. But Shelby and I, we've been, da- we've been married for almost 12 years. Before that, we dated for over four years. Before that, we were friends for over three years. So in nearly two decades of friendship, how did I somehow mislead her into thinking that I like pineapples on my pizza? And on top of that, like, what do I do now? Right? I can't embarrass Shelby or say to my host, I don't like your pizza. So you better believe I walked over there, I grabbed a slice of that pizza, and I looked at Shelby the whole time, and I ate every single bite of that. And then when I had a moment later, I walked over and said, Shelby, I do not like pineapple on pizza. And as she's somehow finding this out for the first time, she just starts hysterically laughing. She thought it was fantastic. Just when you think you know somebody, right? Now, I open with that ridiculous story because the story we're about to read is a story about Jesus. And it's going to make us ask the same question of him, or at least many of us. Wait, just when you thought you know somebody. It may challenge whether we really knew Jesus or not, at least initially. See, the story we're about to read is he's taken this first trip out of Jewish lands into a pagan region called Tyre and Sidon. And he's going to meet not a Jewish woman like him, right? Like a Jewish person like him, but he's going to meet a Gentile woman. Gentile is just a blanket term for someone who isn't Jewish. And to be more specific, this woman is a Phoenician she comes from an ancient people group called the Phoenicians who, who grew up, who all lived around the Mediterranean Sea. But the Phoenicians worshipped Canaanite gods. And if you know anything about the whole story of the Bible, the Canaanites and the Israelites were bitter ancient enemies. To be more specific, this woman was Syrophoenician, meaning she came from the region right north of Israel. So she knew the tension that existed between the Jews and her people. But because her daughter was possessed by a demon, she was desperate. And she falls at the feet of Jesus. Now, how will Jesus respond to her? Well, it may surprise many of us. And it may make many of us think, wait, do I know Jesus? (laughs) Do I know what Jesus is like? At least initially. All right, so as we continue in our series through the Gospel of Mark called Following Jesus, let's follow him right into Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. If you have your own Bible, this is one of those passages that may be worth pulling out a pen or pencil and writing a couple notes in the margin, all right, to help you so when you come back and reference the story later, it makes a bit more sense. If you don't have your own Bible, no worries, you can follow with us on the screen. But can we all stand together as we read this story? Mark chapter 7. Verses 24 to 30. All right, here we go. And from there, he, being Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, 
yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found a child lying in bed and the demon gone. Repeat after me. After me, say, Jesus, open my heart. Open my mind, transform my life. In your name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Reading that story, did anybody else here feel a bit uncomfortable at a certain point? Anybody else here? Anybody else just confused as to what in the world happened? That's fine too. Now, here we have this story, desperate mother, Jesus, and did he really just call her what I thought he did, a dog? How are we meant to understand this? Like, how does, how does that fit with your view of who Jesus is right now? And how are we supposed to take this? Listen, I, I will unpack this in a moment. To help us understand, like, how can we understand? How should we understand this passage? And then I'm going to, 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 to then show us what it has to teach us about faith and following Jesus. But first, before we get to that, how should we approach a tense passage like this one? All right? When any part of the Bible makes us feel uncomfortable or challenges us and we don't necessarily know what to do with it, what, what's the best method or attitude to bring to it if we want to understand it? Okay? See, instead of trying to resolve the tension immediately, it's best to engage an uncomfortable passage both honestly and faithfully. All right? Let me, let me just remind us of the story. So Jesus, again, travels from the region of Galilee. If we can get that map on here. The region of Galilee, which is, ooh, there we go. You can kind of see that pink blob in the middle of the map there. That's Galilee. That's where Jesus has spent most of his time. And he traveled just north to the area of Phoenicia and Tyre, which is right there on the coast. So he didn't travel very far, but he went away just for a moment, assuming to, to get some rest. But Jesus was so popular at this time that even though he went away, people still find him up there, including a Gentile Syrophoenician mother of a girl who's possessed by a demon. And when she found Jesus, it says that she fell at his feet in total despondency, begging him to cast the demon out of her little daughter. In other stories we have in the, in the New Testament of kids or people possessed by demons, sometimes these demons threw the, their host into fire, water, caused convulsions. So you can understand why this mom was so desperate. Now, knowing Jesus the way we do, what would we assume he would do here? Have compassion, right? Heal her right away. 
Take the demon, right? Cast it out. Well, according to Matthew's gospel, his account of the story, the first thing Jesus did was he ignored her. He was silent. And then he said, he said, I did not come, I came for the lost sheep of Israel, aka, I did not come for Gentiles like you. But as she continues to beg him more, he responds, let the little children be fed first. Who are the children? The Jewish people. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And immediately, if we're reading this passage, honestly, we probably have a face like that, right? I mean, did, did he just call her a dog? Does Jesus not want to help her? Is Jesus racist? Like, just when you think you know a guy, right? And sure, like, in the story, he does cast out the demon eventually. But, but how, do, how are we supposed to take his initial silence and then his comments to her about the dogs? See, when we see tension like this, anytime we're reading through the Bible, our natural or our first reaction is to want to try to eliminate that tension as fast as we can. In one of three ways. I want to caution us, caution us against these, right? But this is often our tendency. Is that number first, when we get uncomfortable passages, we may want to ignore the uncomfortable parts. We're reading through the Gospel of Mark, we hit that, we're like, ooh, <laughs> and we act like it wasn't even there, and we keep going. But if we only pay attention to the comfortable parts of the Bible, how will we grow? Or if we don't ignore them, we may be tempted to simply minimize the uncomfortable parts. Right? I don't think Jesus really meant what it sounds he meant, right? Like, I don't think it's that big of a deal, right? But see, when we fail to wrestle with honest questions, we set ourselves up for a shallow faith at best. Or at least one that can be easily torn down when challenged. But if we don't ignore or minimize a third response, we may want to judge the uncomfortable parts. In other words, we read this story this, from an ancient first century pre-enlightenment world. And we immediately bring our 21st century postmodern, post-enlightenment mindset and throw the gavel right down on it right away. I was listening to a pastor named Colin Majak this week. His sermon was super helpful on this. And he said, many times the reason why we judge a passage right away is because we just want to prove to ourselves that, hey, we're on the right side of history. But see, the problem with all three of these approaches, whether it's judge, minimize, or ignore, is that none of them let the text speak for itself. No, they, they, they seek to eliminate the discomfort or the tension right away instead of seeing, hey, could we grow through it? And that's why I want to say the fourth approach is better. That we engage the discomfort with both honesty and faithfulness. Honesty means that we should 
come to God's word with our questions, with our doubts, with our understandings, and allow his word to, and wrestle with them. See, God's not intimidated by our questions. Can I get an amen from somebody? Right? We can come to it honestly and wrestle with it. But we also should come faithfully, meaning that we treat Scripture with respect and honor. We do not come to it and make it mean whatever we want it to mean, but we seek to understand and allow it to speak for itself, even if it's challenging. Sometimes when we come to an uncomfortable passage, we want to flatten it instead of seeing it for what it is. But if we do that, we can never truly understand it or grow through it. So, even though it may be natural for us to want to ignore, minimize, or judge an uncomfortable passage, how could we approach a story like Mark 7 here, both honestly and faithfully? How could we allow this to, 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 to come to life for us? See, I don't... Even though this is a little bit different than I normally preach or share on Sunday mornings. I don't want to just tell us what to think about this passage. I actually want to teach us how to think through an uncomfortable passage like this one this morning. Is that okay with you guys? So how did the original gospel writers, what is it that they wanted us to understand and see in this story? Why would a gospel writer like Mark or Matthew include this within their account of Jesus's Life. How can we honestly and faithfully work through this? And see, this is why I'm going to present to us what I see is, is three possible explanations for why Jesus ignored the woman and why he spoke to her the way that he did initially. Okay, Three possible explanations. I believe one is the strongest, but I do want to take us through each of them one at a time so that you guys can see for yourselves the strength and weaknesses of each and grow in your own confidence to be able to dissect and understand God's word for yourself. So in other words, I need to speak to our minds for, for just a few minutes. I will get to the heart. But is it okay if I speak to our minds and get a little teacher-like for a moment? Is that okay with you guys? Well, even if you said no, I'd do it anyway. But So... So why did Jesus respond to the Syrophoenician mother the way he did, at least initially? Well, one explanation, the first explanation, is that Jesus spoke to her the way that he did because he was only human and a product of his own culture. See, a good Jewish rabbi in his day would not even speak to a woman, much less a Gentile woman, much less one who worshipped Canaanite gods. Now, Mark uses the word Syrophoenician, which is actually in that day the more politically correct word. Matthew uses the word Canaanite. And Canaanite was the more racially charged word because it immediately associated this woman with Israel's ancient enemies, the Canaanites who dwelled in that land that they occupied. And so this theory says that while Jesus was a wise teacher, he was only human. And as only human, some of his views he picked up from his culture. That Jesus was actually a bit prejudiced and racist here. And we, if we're reading the Bible, 
you realize that, hey, he's a wise teacher. There's a lot of things we can take from him, but this is one of those things that we reject from him because we know it's wrong. Now, to be clear, this is not a Christian view, okay? This is not a Christian explanation because it believes that Jesus was only human. It does not believe that he was fully God. But let's also ask here, like, is it fair to say that Jesus was just a product of his culture? Because if you look at, if Jesus was just a product of his culture and held prejudice like others in his day, like, how do you explain how he interacted with all the other Gentiles in that time? Right? Mark chapter 5, Jesus meets a, a garrison man, Gentile, who is possessed by a demon and he delivers him. Mark chapter 8, he travels to Decapolis, which is a Gentile area, and feeds 4,000 people. Like, if Jesus was prejudiced, how do you explain how he treated other Gentiles too? And if he held racism, right? Like, why would he tra travel to Tyre and Sidon in the first place? And on top of that, how do we understand the whole trajectory of Scripture here? Let me, let me try to understand here. You guys still with me? You're somebody like, I'm not sure. I'm getting someplace, I promise. But the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, God shows up to a man named Abraham. Abraham was to be the father of the Israelites or the Jewish people. And he promises, he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Why? He says that, that in blessing you, you guys are going to bless all the families, or the gen, including the Gentiles of the earth. See, and the story of the Bible is that we see that God is a God who, who doesn't just hold and bless the Israelite people, but he's doing so that they might be a light to the nations. And we're seeing that Jesus, who is coming, and he is starting to reach out to other Gentiles, it's through a Jewish and Israelite man that God is bringing about the blessing of the world. But, but if you see that trajectory in Scripture, like, this theory doesn't fit if Jesus is just turned off to any Gentiles. And so I lay that explanation out, but I hope you see that it has some serious holes in it. That it has some serious holes in it. Anybody looking at this and saying, well, Jesus must be racist, whoa, whoa. Let's let the text speak for itself. So let's look at a potential second explanation. All right, and other scholars have sought to explain this, that after Jesus saw the woman's faith, this is when he learned that his mission included saving the Gentiles and not just the Jews. In other words, this theory says that Jesus was going about his mission across the Jewish lands in Galilee and Israel, but once he saw this woman's remarkable, humble, persistent faith, he went, oh, well, God must now want me to now reach out to the Gentiles. And so he initially responds to the woman with this metaphor of children and dogs to try to explain to her, he says, well, it's not your time yet. He wasn't really trying to be offensive, this, this theory says. Now, the original word for dogs here actually refers to little dogs. <laughs> it's referring to house dogs, not savage yard dogs, little dogs. And so some people in this theory said, because it's just like a little house dog, think Shih Tzu, Chihuahua, right? Like, it's not that offensive. It's not that bad. Okay. But when Jesus saw her humility and her faith, that's when he went, oh, 
I guess I'm here for the Gentiles after all. Now, this isn't really a terrible theory, I guess. But like the previous one, it doesn't really account for the reason why Jesus still treated other Gentiles the way he did. If he, it just dawned on him in this moment, then why did he free the Gerasene man in Mark 5? And on top of that, can we honestly say that calling a woman a little dog instead of a big dog is, is not offensive? Like, don't try that at home, right? <laughs> Therefore, I see this exp second explanation as having some holes, too. And this is why I want to present what I see as a third explanation. And I think this is the strongest. That acting as a teacher, Jesus initially resisted the woman in order to reveal her faith for what it was. So in other words, according to this view, for a moment, Jesus acted like, played the part of a typical Jewish rabbi. And for a moment, pretended to have a view that he didn't actually hold in order to set the stage for her faith to be revealed for what it was. For, for a lack of a better phrase... This view holds that Jesus played the devil's advocate, right? Like, I hate using that phrase, <laughs> like, just to be clear. But I don't know what other phrase to use, right? Because he, he, he resisted or he pushed back for a moment in order to set the stage to, so that her faith could be revealed for what it was. I can almost imagine Jesus with a clever smile on his face, purposely pushing back for a moment in order to make room to bring out the best. You know how like good teachers know how to bring out the best in their students. It's almost as if with his resistance it allowed us to see the strength of her faith. And not only that, but when when he brought out the faith of a Gentile Syrophoenician woman, that immediately was a critique against any prejudice and racism among his own people. So wait, Jesus was just acting, you're saying? Like, isn't that deceitful? Well, no, because see, this was an attempt of Jesus to try to bring something out of her. This was a teaching technique. Think too, John chapter 4, Jesus met a Samaritan woman. And he asks her a lot of questions he already knew the answers to. Why? To truly bring out what he knew was inside of her. And at times, Jesus played a part in order to bring out what he knew was already in the inside. And see, I believe this view is the strongest because, it, number one, it explains why he went to Tyre and Sidon in the first place. Number two, it, it explains his posture of compassion toward the other Gentiles across the gospel. So number three, it certainly fits the overarching narrative of the Bible, that we see that God has, in fact, come as a Jewish man to now become a blessing, not just to God's people, but to the nations of the world. See, although Jesus remained silent for a moment, and he resisted the woman, he was simply providing a backdrop by which he could point to her great example of faith and reveal God's love and compassion for all people. And there we find the true heart, the resounding message of this story. That we look at this woman and we see that faith in Jesus means trusting him. Even when heaven seems silent, 
or working against us. Now, I think we should note one thing this passage does speak clearly is it speaks a strong word against racism and prejudice, doesn't it? Right? Because that's exactly the tension that, that, that they felt. This Jewish man and this Syrophoenician woman. Yet Jesus shows in the story that he's looking at the inside, not at the outside. And in Matthew's gospel, he praises her great faith. That it wasn't the important religious Jewish leaders. It wasn't Jesus' own disciples who became the example of faith. It was the Syrophoenician woman that Jesus used, one of Israel's enemies, to give a picture to his own people of what great faith looked like. Whoa. Like talk about wow. And we see in that moment that this story speaks a resounding word that God looks at the inside, not the outside. He's looking for trust. He's looking for trust. And there really lies the central message of this story. That what impresses God and Jesus the most is humble, persistent trust in all circumstances. Jesus says to her, let the children be fed first, not be given to the little dogs. But her answer is brilliant, utterly brilliant. She says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. That's how I felt. Like, it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. That was perfect. You see, she did not come to Jesus with an ounce of entitlement, only humility. She did not come to him trying to prove her own human goodness. She simply falls before him in grace, which reminds us of Psalm 51, 17. It says, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. And she just lives that out right in front of Jesus. But even when Jesus was silent, and even when it seemed to resist her, she persistently clung to the belief that he was good, and that he was still able to deliver and set her free. When he was giving her reasons to not believe, she continued to trust anyway. Have you ever felt like God was silent? Have you ever felt like the circumstances around you, like, what gives God? Are you, work, are you trying to make this more difficult? What if that is exactly the moment when God is saying, I'm actually setting it up to, so that you learn fresh faith? Have you ever prayed and it felt like a void or an emptiness? Have you ever been tempted to doubt God's goodness and power in those moments? I certainly have. I mean, think about this last year alone. I mean, how many of us haven't felt that sense of silence from heaven and wondered as our finances aren't doing well, as family members are going through medical problems, as we are experiencing uncontrollable things, we're like, what gives God? I don't even feel like praying right now. I don't even want to. In the very moments when it feels like we are being overwhelmed, when we're afraid, when we're alone, that's the very moment when we can learn what it means to really trust. See, sometimes it seems like God is withholding from us 
when he's really setting the table for fresh faith. This past week, I was reading this story about an author named Jennifer Rothschild. Some of you women, I think, in here have, have done her study on uh, Psalm 23. But Jennifer Rothschild, as a little girl, she always wanted to be an artist. She loved color. She loved coloring. But about 12 years old, her vision began to blur. And about 14, she went to the eye doctor and was diagnosed with an eye disease that caused her retinas to deteriorate. They told her, you're going to be blind. And she said the moment they gave her that diagnosis, she was nothing but quiet the whole way home. And questions were filling, filling her mind. Am I going to have to learn Braille now? Can, can, can I finish high school? Like, will any guy ever want to date me? What is God doing? But she said when she got home, she went and sat in front of her piano. All her life, she had learned to sight-read music, but for the first time, she learned to play by ear. And she began to play out on the piano, It is well with my soul. And she says in her story, It's still not well with my circumstance, but God has made it well with my soul. While she had so many reasons to conclude that God was withholding from her, and she could go from there to say, well, I'm going to let go of him if he's withholding from me. Instead, she clung even tighter with humble, persistent faith. And now her story has been a story that has encouraged so many across the world to be a picture of what trust looks like. What if... In your circumstances right now, Jesus is wanting to draw out fresh faith in you. What if this is the moment right now in difficulty when you feel like, why isn't he coming through that Jesus is saying, actually, just keep asking. Keep asking. Because I got a story of faith I want to tell through you. What would it look like for each of us in this room to have that same relentless faith like that woman did? Because sometimes it seems like God is withholding from us when he's really setting the stage for fresh faith. I'll close with this. You know, I think another reason why Jesus was so impressed with this woman's faith is because it reminded him very much of his own. See, Jesus knew why he had come to earth. He knew the shadow of the cross loomed over him, even in this moment. He knew the day would come when the world would grow lonely and it would feel dark. But he knew that why he had come, to give his life as a ransom for all of us. That just as he delivered that Gentile woman's daughter, that he had come to this world to deliver all of us from the powers of evil, sin, and death. He was, came to give us a new life that we did not deserve by taking on a death that he did not deserve. But in order to do that, he knew that the, in the road ahead, it would be dark. And the day would come. While his disciples were sleeping, Jesus would kneel in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
and he would beg, God, will you take this cup of suffering from me? And even though God says, no, you're to walk forward, Jesus humbly trusted. And as Jesus hung on that cross, an object of ridicule, with all of our sin upon his shoulders, heaven felt silent. But he was faithful, even unto death. Even unto death. And while anyone looking at Jesus on that cross would assume that God must be withholding from him and that he must be cursed, we know that all of that was just God setting the table to show us his matchless love for you, for me, for all people. And the resurrection, the deliverance, that was coming. But that couldn't come unless there was first relentless trust and faith so I don't know what you're going through I know what some of you are going through I know that some of you are going man like this has been a year unlike any other maybe some of you are sitting on the side of victory and you're praising God and that's wonderful others of you may be still on the side of waiting suffering pain you feel like heaven is silent you feel like God is resisting you I believe that God has, he has eternal life for all of us. He has victory for all of us. He has freedom for all of us. But cling to him. It begins with a relentless trust right now. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to believe God. Or to please God, excuse me. So what does relentless faith look like for you right now? What would it look like to trust God? Because trust is trust only when we've learned to trust him in the difficulty as well as the good times. That sometimes it may seem like God is withholding from us when he's really setting the table for fresh faith. Will you stand with me? Let me pray together. Ah, Jesus. This is one of those messages, Jesus, where I, uh, I really struggle with it. Not just because it's, it's a, this passage has some discomfort associated with it, right? Like, I, I trust your goodness and your character, but Jesus, the, the part that gets me the most is I can't help but think of all the times in my life that I have doubted your goodness and power when you've actually called me to trust. And sometimes when I see my own life and I see all the times that I have failed to trust or believe, I, I see an example of a woman like this and it feels impossible. I, just, I don't know if I'm going to get this, Jesus. But Jesus, this is why I ask, you never asked us to do anything but hold tight to you. You never asked us to, to change the circumstances that we can't control. You simply asked us to keep coming to you, to cling tight to you. That even when it feels like heaven is silent, and even when our hearts are breaking, and even though when we, we just feel like we're struggling, we have a hard time breathing, even when it feels like we're drowning, 
You say, keep holding on. Keep holding on. Because we know your resurrection, your deliverance is coming. We don't always know your plan. But we will continue to believe that you are still good and that you are still able. And we will continue to believe that you still love us because we've seen the way that you, what you have done on our behalf. We'll continue to believe in who you are, Jesus. Will you give us the strength? Will you give us the ability to keep trusting even when we're not sure how? Lord, we come to you humbly today, recognizing that I don't have any goodness in my own. I'm not entitled to anything from you. But even though I do not deserve a thing from you, you have given us everything. And so, Lord, may fresh faith arise in us today. May our difficult circumstances just provide the backdrop by which our faith can be revealed and a story of your goodness and power can be told. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's, as we sing this next song, engage it with your heart. Don't just go through the motions on this. Allow this song to really speak right to who you are.